When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Today on the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast, it's time to find out what we missed. My guest today is one of the best at canvassing the league for the lesser-told stories and lesser acknowledged teams and players doing great things, a true journalist, rather, in a day and age of hot takes. A wild card, if you will. It's John Mattis of The Score. John, how are you? Wow, what an intro. Yeah, the for those who are listening, me and Justin know each other offline in real life before we got into the media game. So uh, he's got a nickname for me that I don't know. I don't know if it's true anymore, man. I'm a dad. I don't know if, if wild card works. You're not the wild card anymore, eh? I just I was just going to float it out there and see if you wanted to take it and run with it because I don't know if that alter ego of yours is in the media world or has been introduced to the media world. Uh, but you opened Pandora's box, so uh, I guess it's out, out there now. Uh, I hope I'm not talking out of school, but you did reveal in a, in a uh, tweet reply that you just became a father. So congratulations and best of luck in advance covering the Stanley Cup playoffs with a, uh, you know, a new or a week's old baby in the house. That might be a little bit difficult. Yeah, he's, he's already a month old somehow. Um, and I mean, all, I don't know, you know, what you've heard about fatherhood, Justin, but like, it's literally every cliche in the book. Uh, uh, you know, you don't get the, the sleep you want. Um, they want mom a lot more than they want you in the early going. Um, you know, it's all worth it in the end. All that kind of stuff is true. Um, so hopefully, that being said, that, that I can actually put together a competent sentence and, and some insight here for you. Well, the job starts soon for you. You can just plop them on the lap and throw on hockey, and I, I think you're doing your job, right? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So as I mentioned off the top, you do not get sucked into the biases in the hockey world like uh, maybe I do. You have your eye on everything. So as we shift into a hockey discussion here, at the end of this COVID season, where you know 16 teams, we know which 16 teams are going to be in the playoffs, what teams have missed, what is the story for you of the entire season? Ooh, story of the entire season. I mean, it's hard not to start with what we're all dealing with, with COVID, mm-hmm. uh, the mental health of the players, the say the Washington Capitals breaking protocol at one point and that causing a, a substantial fine and some, some suspensions. Uh, also, and this kind of goes in line with the, the players' mental health is I feel like the players have been a little more outspoken this year. Uh, you know, whether that that's recency bias on my part with, with Jack Eichel going off on the Sabres the other day or yeah. a couple of Zoom calls, uh, guys just just letting it out a little bit more. And, and perhaps that's a, a function of the life that we're living, where maybe you can be a little more honest when you're talking through a screen. I don't know. 
But those are a couple of things that come to mind immediately. And then on the ice, I mean, you, you got to start with Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews, don't you? With with what they're they're doing here. I, I don't know if this is peak McDavid. I don't know if this is peak Matthews. But if it is, I mean, we're uh, that's that's plenty uh, for for this generation. They've kind of become the the Gretzky and Lemieux of uh, of the modern mm-hmm. era, which is you know fitting with you <laughs> having the Lemieux jersey in the background. There you go. And also, I guess we'll see what happens with the playoffs, but that that also translates to what's going to happen in, in the Stanley Cup tournament here, where with Edmonton, I mean, they're going to be a really good test, a really good uh, case study here of is the NHL a league where you can win with uh, a generational talent, a couple of, of really strong pieces to help them, and then not mm-hmm. a complete picture otherwise um because in the nba you can do that right in other sports maybe even the nfl if you have a a quarterback who's a generational say tom brady you, you fit the pieces around him and you win a super bowl uh that hasn't really been proven to be true in the nhl but i think mcdavid and where he's at right now it, it's possible uh and you could say the same thing for matthews although his team is a heck of a lot better so maybe it doesn't completely translate there so those are things that that come to mind immediately um when i'm projecting out to to what i may look back on yeah i i mean i think the covid season will be known as the covid season right what happened to the canucks what happened at the start of the season to the stars a bit to the canadians i mean i think that's what we're going to remember when we see when we look back and say 56 games what was that oh oh, yeah it was the covid season uh but i think you nailed something on the head there i think it might be uh one of the underlying stories will be satisfying one superstar, Connor McDavid, perhaps with a better team around him this year and some real progress and the dissatisfaction of the player that you mentioned already in Jack Eichel and what that might mean for that franchise moving forward. Um, But as you look back on the season, um, is is there a team or a division or something that emerged number one in the watchability rankings for you? Is there something that you just found yourself gravitating towards every night as, as you watched hockey? Oh, it's 100% Kirill Kaprizov, who I guess, you know, it's funny, you ask a, a, a question about, you know, what would you know, you mentioned the Canucks there and their debacle. I mean, that's maybe even the top headline of the season. But then yeah. you start going down the list, and I think Kirill Kaprizov's tantalizing talent and, and his late-game heroics, I, it's, it's turned, like, if you were doing a, a rankings of, you know, must-see teams, Last year, the Wild are probably, I don't know, let's just say 26th. They're not very for deca- high. For decades, they've been 26th. <laughs> yeah, for basically their whole existence. And then this year, honestly, top five. And it's it's Kaprizov. They also play a pretty fun brand of hockey. They're, they don't have a ton of guys who are super high-end in regards to skill and, and finishing ability um, beyond Kaprizov. But they, they play a game where uh, – the pace is fairly high. Uh, they, they largely outplay play the other team. And they also have a second line, if you want to call it that, of, of Erickson Eck, Foligno, and Greenway uh, that are super fun to watch from, from I guess, a hockey nerd's perspective, a really good two-way line um, that forecheck well. And, and all three guys can score. They, they crash the net. Um, but it all comes back to Kaprizov. Like, he's completely changed that franchise. And it's kind of crazy to think because there's so many guys who come from the KHL uh, whether they're, you know, not as highly touted, like, I don't know, a Bear Banov or, or a Makayev or these, this whole group of guys that 
the Leafs have acquired, there's always a lot of buzz around them, right? Um, and it's always hard to peg, like, okay, what's this going to translate into? And with Kaprizov, I, I sort of was like, let's let's just see how he does. Like, I don't want to get too excited about this guy. It's happened too many times before where you get excited and then the guy's gone in a couple of years. Or or it's like Alex Radulov. That's a, that's a pretty, I guess, happy ending yeah. there. He turned into a really good NHLer. But he's kind of the exception to the to the rule. So Kaprizov comes over, uh, in my mind, uh, easily the the, Car- the Calder Trophy winner, uh, Jason Robertson, number two. But he like he, he reminds me kind of a pe- of Elias Pettersson, where I don't imagine Kaprizov putting up a hundred points a season, but I think he'll get eighty and play well in its own end, and also be the type of guy who could take over a single game. Uh, what we see that kind of with Pedersen where, you know, I, I can't imagine him winning a scoring title, but also I wouldn't put him any, any further down the list of, of top centers than, than maybe, I don't know, 15th, something like mm-hmm. that. So like still very, very effective and they're both highly skilled. So yeah, Kaprizov, uh, he's, uh, he's just changed the dynamic of that, that wild team. And it's crazy because he was drafted, uh, you know, by another GM. Uh, Bill Guerin just sort of sort of walked into it in a lot of ways. Of course, the kid had to come over, but uh, that, that's that's quite the nice gift. And Dean Evison a little bit has walked into it. He was obviously around last year, um, but that team just—you're right. I mean, the entire complexion of the team seemed to change with one acquisition or one player coming back, coming over from Russia. You do you do you have a hot take on whether or not a 24-year-old should win the Calder or? Uh, are you are you at ease with the uh, the inevitable decision to give Kaprizov the Calder Trophy? Well, it's like the the old saying that don't hate the player, hate the game kind of thing. <laughs> Where yeah. like if if you're upset about this 24 year old part of of Kaprizov and his Calder case, then you're actually upset about the rules because the Calder Trophy has certain parameters like to qualify for it, and he qualifies for it. So. If people really believe that 24 is too old, which I guess you could make a case for, um, but 25 is a nice number, so that's why they keep it sort of under 25. Um, so no, I mean, I, I, I've just tried to stay within the boundaries of, of what the NHL lays out. And otherwise, I think you're, you're talking yourself into a corner where it's just unnecessary. Uh, if Kaprizov is eligible, if he's the best rookie, I think he should win the Calder. Sure. Maybe, maybe, you know, if it was really tight between him and Robertson and you're a voter and you're really, you know, up in arms about the 24 year old age. And, and you think that Robertson, who I think is 21 or 22 um, is just doing something more impressive because he's younger than sure. I'm, I'm cool with that. But I think just to completely discredit the guy because he's 24 is, is unnecessary. Yeah. I tend to agree with you. I mean, yeah, I, I you'd love to see an 18 or 19 year old player come in and that's the beginning of his career, right? Like he puts up 60 points as an 18 year old and you know what you're going to see, you're going to see progression that he's going to become this great player. And then at the end, when you're looking at his legacy, Oh yeah. You know, Calder trophy, hard trophy, all that stuff. Um, But if you, if you don't include 24 year olds say, then you're going to get to the point where there are players that just don't, you know, deserve that sort of distinction getting the trophy as well. So I feel like it's got to be open to all of them. And if that comes down to a 24-year-old versus an 18-year-old and the points are pretty close and, and you want to split hairs, then maybe you can factor in the age when you when you go through the voting process. Uh, and, and you know, I, I just feel like it, it's it's set up in a way where it's it's imperfect, but it's never going to be perfect. 
Uh, and you, it's just on the voter to make the right call. And I think the right call is clearly Kaprizov uh, this year. Um, if, if the Wild did rise to the top of your watchability rankings, is there a team that disappointed you the most that you uh, um, maybe were turning off out of, you know, disgust perhaps? Maybe that's a bit of a strong word. Uh, but is there a team that, uh, you know, you had some expectation, expectations for that just didn't fulfill them? Well, just purely, and this is like half not their fault, but the, I feel like the Canucks have really slid down the rankings because of the situation that they've been put in by, by the league uh, and also just by COVID. Uh, yeah. And also their roster is, is just so kind of blah once you get past the top two lines and, and the first pairing, right? Um, so I would say they slid, but I guess for, for kind of weird reasons. Um, the Arizona Coyotes are pretty boring to watch. I guess they have been for a long time. Um, other so than that, the type of guy that could find the beauty in the Arizona Coyotes, uh, myself, not so much. <laughs> well, I can sometimes. I just, you need to score some goals for me. You know what I mean? Like, Jacob Chikrin is actually a really fun player to watch. Anyone who doesn't yeah. know him super well, he, he's led the, the defensemen across the league in scoring this year. But, you know, if Clayton Keller and, and Phil Kessel are your most dangerous forwards, I just, I, I can't get up for most of your games. Um, unless it's say in the playoffs and, and there's some interesting storylines there. I mean, the Sabres became a, a laughing stock pretty quickly here and things got ugly again. You know, you brought up the things that we'll remember from this season. I think how that really, you know, went off a cliff quickly is something that, that we can't forget, especially with, with the, you know, the firings and what's happened now with Eichel and, and possibly Reinhardt leaving town. So those would, would be some that, that jumped to, to the top of my mind and, and maybe I'd slide in the Montreal Canadiens where I think they're an effective team. I think that they're, they're not last in, in, in the league in watchability, but uh, they, the, their brand of hockey can, can glaze over the eyes every once in a while. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think the Montreal Canadiens are one of the bigger disappointments. Uh, not that because, you know, we expected them to take down the division title to be a Stanley Cup, you know, contending team. But this team just, as much as there were some really fantastic standout performances, um, you know, guys like Jeff Petrie emerging as one of the top five, maybe best defensemen in the, in the NHL, Tyler Toffoli going off and having this career season, like all that couldn't make up for the fact that there are fundamental flaws still on this team. And I think we forgot about those when we were assessing their off season and what they were able to do, bringing in guys like Josh Anderson. And they're just not there yet. They're not at that point where they have, you know, the center depth or just the depth in general to get through. And I think maybe we were a little bit, uh, we jumped the gun a little bit of anointing them. Certainly many people did at the start of the season when they had that great start. Uh, but this just doesn't look like, it looks like the same team that is, that arrived at the bubble last year where they just didn't belong in the bubble. And I guess we'll see if that, uh, you know, manifests itself in the playoffs, but I think they're at the top of the list for me as well. Um, so COVID-19 caused or forced many changes, divisional realignment, tax to the schedule, limited travel, slight changes to rules. Um, but when there's a situation in which it forces some change, you might have some benefit out of that. So is there a major takeaway as you sort of assess the balance of the season and, and what we saw and what was, you know, forced upon us in a, in a way uh something that worked and maybe can be applied to future seasons well the i think this is kind of the the, the tap in here on the on the answer here is the the series the you know baseball style schedule i think mm -hmm. that worked for the most part pretty well i guess at the end of the season we're all kind of sick of 
you know, the eighth time that the, you know, the Edmonton Oilers and, and Winnipeg Jets are playing, but that was, that was just uh, the spot that the NHL was put in. And I think that it, it just leads to better hockey. If guys are in the same town for multiple days, they don't have to travel. They can kind of get settled in their hotel. And you, you saw a couple of moments where that those series really developed over a couple of games. So, I mean, this is maybe not the best example because it's, it's kind of an outlier as the, one of the craziest stories of the season, but that Tom Wilson incident, mm. uh, it, it led to really a, a must watch appointment viewing game. Uh, I think it was the next day or the day after between Washington and New York, that, that wouldn't normally happen, right? It'd be Washington comes into New York. Mm. See you later. We'll see you in maybe never, uh, yeah. you know, since we're yeah. so close to the end of the season or maybe in a couple of months. So does that boil over? Does that, you know, get smoothed over? Who knows? But they were forced to, to sort of play. Um, but on a less, I guess, violent perspective, uh, there were a lot of instances where we saw just the back and forth and, and, you know, the chess game of, you know, a power play going against the penalty kill and absolutely crushing them over a three-game set or, or conversely, a, a power play going off on one night and then the next two games, they, they just can't figure it out because the penalty kill adjusted. Like, I just thought it was a nice curveball that's part of the season and can that carry to future seasons? I mean, I guess on paper it could arena availability kind of changes here as, as life gets back to normal. So maybe that's uh, going to be uh, an adjustment or, or, or uh, an obstacle, but there have been players in the past. I think it's Jonathan Taves that said like, why don't we do this? It creates yeah. better hockey on those, those second or third games and it's less travel. Uh, you, you hear all the time about how some of the West Coast teams are dealing with way, way more air miles than than the guys on the East Coast. So this would at least help uh, mitigate that that advantage, competitive advantage and also just cost. Like we're dealing with a yeah. tough economy still in terms of these owners are struggling after. Well, now we're ending up what a, a year and a half or something without without fans, at least in Canada. And, mm -hmm. and some of the American cities aren't doing so well either. So. It doesn't maybe tie the NHL over a little bit over the next couple of years if they throw in more uh, baseball style series. I think so. I think you could. The only worry there is that you could go too hard in that direction. Like, let's say, okay, there's there's two games between Vegas and Toronto a year, and you put them both, you know, games five and six on the season, then you don't see Vegas again for the entire year. I think it would have to be if you're going to do those baseball baseball style series, it would have to be against divisional rivals because then at least you know, that helps the division in terms of the seeding and, and, you know, the, the importance of those games. Um, but also it's not the only time you'll see them all year, because I feel like you, you lose the opportunity. We've lost the opportunity, obviously, to see all these teams, but if you see Sidney Crosby, let's say too early in the season as a fan and you don't see him again, I, I'd like, I'd like them to be spaced out at least in that regard. And I think uh, that's one thing they just got to keep in mind as, as they try to, uh, navigate the future schedules. Um, I'm sure one thing that you don't want to see return is the exclusivity of Zoom meetings as the only avenue to speak with players and coaches. Uh, I'm sure it's made your life a little bit more difficult this year. Um, what have you had to do to adjust uh, your own process uh, with basically the opportunity to be face-to-face -face with coaches and players just not an option this year? Yeah, I'm kind of of two minds. It's been tough in one way where you have no you have no avenue to meet someone new 
uh, face-to-face where like, I don't know, let's say the Calgary Flames are in Toronto and I go to the morning skate, I'm able to sort of, I guess, spontaneously talk to, I don't know, uh, Noah Hannafin uh, Mm -hmm. for whatever story I'm working on or just to to pick his brain about something. There is no sort of uh, that, uh, unfortunately, given the environment that we're in because I can't just go on, well, I could, but I'm not going to go on a flame Zoom call and ask some random question. It's got to have... purpose to it right i'm not picking a guy's brain on a zoom call when everyone else is listening so that hasn't been great but that being said uh having access to all of these zoom calls as someone who covers the whole league has been beneficial so if i'm working on something that is a league-wide trend or something that just relates to to multiple markets i'm able to hop on you know on a practice day when uh the other reporters are asking more big picture questions i jump in with my own and I kind of blend into the crowd there. And it's, uh, it's just, a, I guess, a better way to, to, to cross off more names on your list as you're, you're building an article out. So it, it kind of depends. Like, and, and each you know, PR department is different. So I've been able to get guys on the phone here and there. And then you know, other markets, not so much. Uh, like, for example, I think Pittsburgh isn't allowing any media on their Zoom calls unless you're a local a media member so mm. i mean it's it's been hit or miss like uh, i i want to go back to normal just because uh you know in general i haven't seen a ton of people face to face over the last uh whatever it is 14 months um so it'd be nice to just get back to normal life and, and see where that takes us but uh you gotta adjust and i i feel like i've i have yeah there there are some good things that have come out of it i mean just starting this podcast alone i can reach pretty much anyone and that's not something i would try to do before because you know i'd be in the studio and how am i going to contact this person but this the zoom world has really connected everyone and i think one benefit is the fact that you can get onto any zoom call and at least be a fly on the wall is something that'll help everyone doing their job in hockey certainly and uh if you can combine the two i guess that would be the best case scenario um okay let's shift to the north division uh you've already sort of indicated that it's been a bit of a letdown and i tend to agree with you i might be even Going further in that direction, saying it's a major letdown. Um, I think the idea of it captured the imaginations of many, and we've sort of, the imaginations have lost uh, or been lost over time. Um, I guess the only possibility here is that as the race didn't unfold the way we thought it might, and, you know, four of the seven teams are pretty non-competitive, that there's a chance that it will redeem itself in the playoffs. Do Do you hold that belief or at least hope? Yeah, I mean, with the Toronto-Montreal series, it is pitting two different styles against each other. I mean, I know that the Leafs have have acquired some, I guess, uh, north-south players or, or grittier players over the last year or so. But when you just compare, like, the, the actual um, end product for each team, what, what their best game looks like, it's the Canadians, you know, uh, playing a style that, that's a little uh, more boring, a little more uh, less – less, I guess, revolving around uh, skill. Mm-hmm. And the Leafs are just, uh, the, the way that they win is that they, they stay out of the scrums. They, they, they keep moving the puck around and they, they rely on, on their talent. So I feel like it's interesting from that perspective. Do I think that the Montreal Canadiens are going to beat the Toronto Maple Leafs? No. I mean, there's always a chance because this is the NHL and we see some wacky things. But I really do believe Toronto is a, a Stanley Cup contender I think uh, I was a little skeptical, skeptical coming into the season where to slot them, but they've grown on me. And I, I just, 
I just, I, it's one of those things where it, it kind of screws you with your head, right? Where you follow a team for so long, they disappoint the fan base for so long that your default is to think, well, they're probably not even getting out of the first round, like just, just based on history, but that's totally unfair to this group. And they've done nothing to discredit the notion that they could go to the semifinal in, the, in this playoffs. So I, I, I think that's a, that's a Toronto series, maybe even a sweep. And then you're looking at Edmonton, Winnipeg, where <laughs> McDavid and Dreisaitl might just completely torch that that, that mediocre Winnipeg defense. Yeah. Here, uh, I guess there's the Connor Hullabuck factor, but uh, that series is a little more cut and dry for me in terms of uh, what who the X factor is, and and I guess McDavid is always the X factor, um, and just Winnipeg being a little discombobulated coming down the stretch here. Um, I'm not sure entirely if they're, they're firing on all cylinders, so to speak. Um, so, I mean, it could be, it could be decent. I mean, this, the second round series is going to be great. Uh, yeah. I think that, that once you get past uh, this, this first matchup uh, or multiple matchups that a couple of pretty solid teams will emerge. And like I said, Toronto's the toast of the division and also uh, should be included in, in the contender talk across the league. Well, it might be 56 pretty forgettable games in terms of what we saw in the regular season, but the North Division is going to provide for the first time in decades Montreal versus Toronto, which even if it's non-competitive, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be something that fans are really going to enjoy. And on, you know, if what we expect to happen happens with Toronto and Edmonton getting through, then you have maybe the two best players in the entire league meeting in a postseason series, maybe for the first and only time. It's it's possible that they meet once again in a Stanley Cup final. Uh, I don't want to say probable, but maybe it's more likely than we're giving it credit for. But it's definitely not a guarantee that Matthews and McDavid meet each other in a playoff series. And that's going to be uh, an unbelievable seven game series. Uh, if, you know, un- I mean, it could be over quick. And even if it is over quick, it's going to be shocking and, and pretty noteworthy in its own right. So uh, I think at least we're going to get a pretty strong conclusion to this. Um, but there is a part of me that would like to see the NHL try again with this all Canadian thing, because I think there are some good elements. It probably can't happen because Seattle's going to provide the imbalance here. Um, and you would always have an American team in the Canadian division, unless you're going to, uh, you know, take the perfect symmetry of 32 teams and, and ruin that. Um, but would you like to see them try again? Would you like to see a more of an all Canadian division move forward? Uh, obviously you don't want them to play each other exclusively. Obviously it might require Seattle or another team to be involved but just the simple fact that they're going to be running into each other time and time again uh, does that interest you moving forward even though it's probably never going to happen it interests me I just think that the NHL would probably look at it and say we want our Canadian teams spread out because let's face it some of some of the best markets in the entire league are up north and if those fans are engaged with other teams across the the continent that's a good thing and you do mention that, you know, this would be an exclusive North versus North throughout the season. So that changes things a little bit, but I don't know. I, I just, I don't know if they would want to divide it like that, where, um, where Canada becomes, you know, kind of the, the focus of a lot of their fan base up here in Canada. And like we saw it this year, right. And, and, and again, it's, it's not the exact same. You're, you're comparing this to a schedule that's a little more mixed, but we saw it this year where, <laughs> a lot of people didn't pay attention to the the American teams who are living in Canada, just based on it was, diffi- not- it was difficult. It just yeah. flat out was difficult because you have a Canadian team on TV pretty much every night. It's so hard. Th- it's hard not to ignore. 
Yeah, I think that the, what they had before was fine, and, and I, I'm all for innovation and, and thinking outside the box. But I feel like in this instance, keeping it more geographical, uh, keeping it a mix of American and Canadian teams is probably the right the right way to go. Um, maybe they they change their playoff structure. Maybe the whole East versus West playoff brackets, uh, you know, kind of ongoing, you know, away from each other could change where they, they cross over in the, the second or third round or something of or, that or one for one versus 16 or something like that. Sure. Like, I think that might be the route if you do want to see, like you're mentioning Matthews and, and McDavid and, and, you know, that that's incentive alone to try to maybe mix things up because they, they are arguably the best two players in the world. Obviously McDavid's number one, but Matthews, I guess that's up for debate. I think he's number two. Um, so if, if that's going to happen for the next five you know, to 10 years where those guys are, are the faces of the league, it's kind of like Ovi and Sid where them facing each other in the playoffs just built that rivalry, whether it was real between the two or just between the fan bases and, and, and the, you know, the memes and, and all the, the sort of vitriol online and all that. Like, that's good for the league. Yeah. Um, so it's something certainly that they should look into uh, and, 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 and maybe ballpark and, and sort of map out uh, – at the league office, but I lean towards uh, moving back to the original divisions. When you, yeah, the, the, the North division, if it did anything, it's, it produced or helped produce two of the great seasons of our lifetimes uh, with the Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews, what they did this year, as you contextualize it and you sort of like compare it to history, you compare it to each other. Is there an argument for Matthews accomplishment being more impressive than McDavid's? There, there's an argument. I actually just wrote about this where Matthews with his 0.80 goals per game is having, you know, a, a season that's comparable to what Ovechkin did when he scored 65 goals in 07, 08. Uh, even when you compare across eras, you can do this on hockeyreference.com if anyone wants to check it out. He's of all time, all the, all the, the goal scoring seasons ever, he's like tied for 12th. Um, so, and, and goal scoring is the hardest thing to do in hockey. So like, I see it, I, I, I wink at it, I compare it, but, but I just, I can't, I don't know if I can cross that bridge though, because McDavid is, is he should be promoted. Like people joke about, you know, relegating certain teams and how bad the Sabres are. Like we should promote Connor McDavid to a hypothetical new, <laughs> new league and see what happens. Like he's an alien out there. And, and, and the thing about both of them, I should say, is that none of, none of the, none of what they're doing is, uh, I mean, some of it's based on luck because hockey's a lucky sport in a lot of ways, a lot of bounces, but the way they're beating goalies, uh, the say the way that, that Connor McDavid is controlling the game, it really just hammer home hammers home the point of how dominant these guys have been. Cause sometimes you watch a, a season, I don't know, I'm just going to pull one out of, um, out of thin air here. Jordan Tutu scores like 40, however many goals, 50 goals one year, uh, a decade back or so. And you're like, I don't know. I don't think he's ever going to repeat that. But then you look mm -hmm. at these guys and you're like, are they going to be better next year? Are they going to go to Arizona again and face off against each other and take those little tiny things uh, from each other's games and, and come back even better? Like, I wouldn't be surprised. And, and that's saying that coming from such a high level of standard already, where they are like Matthews is the best goal scorer in the game. Now it's not him. It's not him versus Ovechkin. It's him. 
Uh, and that's mostly Ovechkin getting old, but, um, and then, and then you got McDavid, like no one can be the best player in the world other than him. I, I will not accept any other argument. So just, just to circle back on your question, I think McDavid's season is more impressive. I think what he's doing is more prolific and astounding and historical, but math, but what Matthews is doing is like, you know, a hair behind him. I, I think you bring up a great point with the relationship because if the two best players in a certain sport can't be enemies, like I guess Sid and Obi were to a certain extent and maybe Maguire and Sosa or whatever it was, like it, it's fun when the two best players in a certain league hate each other. But if you can't have that, them being friends, them wanting to help each other get better, I think that's the next best scenario because that that whole thing of them potentially working together you know, going to Arizona in the summers and, and just like the hockey lab is on, is in full of, uh, effect down there. I mean, that's a really cool story. And I think it's one that's going to be continue to be told based on like going back to the discussion of whether one season is better than the other. I agree with you. I think McDavid is there, but I will say, I think Matthew's season is maybe more transferable on a regular, a regular year because Let's be honest, the game has devolved into shitty down the stretch here for the Oilers and teams like the Vancouver Canucks who just don't have it, right? But Austin Matthews, I feel like it doesn't even matter who's in net, who they're playing. They're going to get their opportunities, and the way he's scoring goals, no one's going to stop it. You know, the Vegas Golden Knights might stop Connor McDavid from scoring four goals or four assists or four points rather a net. I like I just feel like that's more of a, a likelihood than them stopping that one moment from Matthews where he gets his goal on the night. So I will say that I think maybe McDavid's season is slightly more of a product of the environment where Matthews wouldn't be, but that doesn't diminish at all what McDavid has done. This is the greatest hockey season I've ever seen. Uh, do you subscribe to the fact that maybe these guys are getting a little bit more out of the situation uh, or is, you know, you know, that argument that the North division is weak fall on, you know, deaf ears. I think it's just so hard. Like I, I, I can't fully wrap my head around that. I see where people are coming from where they look at whether it's the goaltending on some of these teams or the Ottawa senators in general, or what's happened to the flames or Vancouver or, you know, Winnipeg's defense. Like I get it, but also when you, I don't know if it's that much weaker than some of these other divisions. Sure, like the East is really strong. The West is pretty top-heavy. The Central, I would say, is, is also top-heavy. Like, I don't know. I just think it's the styles, if anything. I, yeah. I think the bottom is stronger in the North Division, but it, it is more of an environment conducive to high event scoring. Sure, but I also – that doesn't mean that – Connor McDavid wouldn't be doing this against other competition. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know. Like, like I, I, I guess I don't have a great argument against the thought, but I also don't buy this idea of them not being able to do it, that, that the North division is this big factor. I think it's a small factor, I guess is how I would put it, where if you plopped, you know, McDavid into the central, I think he'd be doing more or less what he's doing now. If you plop Matthews into the West, I think he'd be doing more or less what he's doing now. I think it would even out to, to, to a large extent. And I, I just want to circle back on what you brought up with, with them working out in the summer. When, when that first came out, when uh, I think it was Alex Freeman that wrote a story about it, mm -hmm. I was thinking to myself, I'm like, this is obviously cool. This is like, obviously notable. You know, if I had that story, I would write it too. But I also thought like, are we going to overplay this? Are we going to think it's a big deal? And it's not uh, because, you know, it's really, you know, the headline, you know, 
says a lot. You know, McDavid, Matthews, they're working together. Ooh, what, you know, what could that mean? There's a lot of mystery around what they're doing. And But then when now that we're actually at the end of the season, I think we're actually forgetting about that a little bit. Like, it's kind of flipped on its head where maybe we need to focus on that more. Like, look at what these guys are doing, and they work together in the offseason. I mean, it's, it's kind of like Magic and Bird and basketball back in the day if they had hung out in the, in the offseason, like, what what would that look like the next season so i feel like it's almost gone a a full 180 where it's like are we talking about this enough because like you said it was like a lab it was uh you know the it's like putting you know two world-renowned scientists together in in a room for x amount of 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 days and like hey figure out this next uh problem in the world um so that's really interesting and and the fact that they can meet in the playoffs and their buddies off the ice uh, is super interesting to me. And I, I think the other point there is they're not complete players yet. Obviously, they, they're both approaching their primes, but they both have a lot that they continue to add there to their games year after year, and their skills are very different. I mean, Matthews can teach probably a few. He's never going to have the – McDavid's never going to have the God-given ability to shoot the puck like Austin Matthews, but he can get better at it. And what McDavid does – Austin Matthews can pick up on for sure. So I, I just think it's a great thing that, you know, it might be overblown. It might be underappreciated like you alluded to. Um, but I definitely think it's a good thing. Um, you'll be voting on the NHL award soon. And I feel like you'll have particular interest in the Norris trophy vote. I don't know where you are in the process. And I don't know if you want to spill the beans, if you have uh, sort of figured out where you're going to go. Um, so I'll ask you this then. How do you prioritize or what do you prioritize when you go through the process of assembling your, your ballot on the best defenseman in the league? And if you do have insight into who you're leaning to, you can share it if you'd like. Yeah, I, I haven't done like a full deep dive and, and cast my ballot because I don't like kind of going full out with like, oh, this guy should be, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth when I haven't actually like sat down. But I think mm-hmm. Adam Fox is probably going to be my pick uh, for first. Uh, again, I guess it's not official yet, so we'll see, but I'm pretty sure. And in terms of criteria, I guess I, I start at how they're deployed uh, and what what the uh, what the the underlying results and actual results. So if we're talking about expected goals and and actual points uh, look like when they're on the ice, and then I, I work back from there. I I do try to really uh stick to the all around i think i think i think the definition is something along the lines of like defenseman who excels most at all around ability something along those like it's it's supposed to be a two-way award it's not for guy who gets the most points right um and then i also like to to dig into you know in terms of their points like how, how many are primary how many are on the power play are like you know are they getting a bunch of second assists on the power play like and, and just happen to be leading the, the defenseman in scoring, like maybe that's not that impressive. Um, mm-hmm. I think also like, you know, same with, uh, I think Roman Yossi is actually a really good example last year. So I voted him first overall uh, in my ballot. And then second, I believe was John Carlson, if I'm not getting my years mixed up. And my main thing there was you watch a Nashville Predators game and he's literally involved in every single portion of their of their their game i mean in the defensive zone he's their shutdown guy he's the guy who retrieves pucks and 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 exits the zone in the neutral zone he's making that pass or he's entering the zone uh to attack and then 
in the attacking zone, he's below the, the goal line. So he's doing all these things. He's by far their MVP. And he's also, you know, incredible, an incredible skater, uh, an incredible passer. He put up good numbers. Like I, I, I really thought that that Yossi last year was a pretty good example of who I vote for, where mm-hmm. I want to see MVP caliber play. So for example, Victor Hedman this year, he is, I think he's still the best defenseman in the entire league, but I just don't think his season is, is quite up there. I might end up putting him on my ballot. I don't know, but uh, Makar and, and Adam Fox and what they're able to do in terms of controlling shifts and their interplay with their, their, their partner and how they affect their team. Uh, you could throw Charlie McAvoy in there too, where Tori Krug and Sedano Charlie and he actually, he not only meets expectations, but he exceeds it. Um, in terms of sliding into that that surefire number one role, so yeah, I just I just try to add a bunch of context on it and try not to fall into the trap of of <laughs> organizing by points or organizing by uh, you know best Corsi or whatever people like to 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 go by. Winning games didn't exactly come into the process there, um, and Adam Fox won't make the playoffs. You voted for Roman Yossi, and the Predators came six last year. Does that impact anything that Adam Fox is playing for a non-playoff team? Uh, maybe one that would be a playoff team if they played in any other division based on goal differential and you know who, who they played uh, all year long. Um, but does that matter at all to you, or is that the archaic sort of thinking that uh, maybe holds us back from identifying the right guys? I think it factors in. Um, the Rangers are a bit of a strange case where, like you mentioned, like their goal differentials off the charts, they should be in the playoffs based on that. Um, if a team's like last in the league and uh, probably not giving their top defenseman much attention, but if it's close, uh, I don't think it's super important. Mm-hmm. That said with the Hart trophy, I do uh, subscribe to the, if you're in the, if you're not in the playoffs, you're probably, not high on my ballot theory. I just think that the Norris is less of, well, it's not, it's not most valuable player. Like it is sort of in terms of, you know, among defensemen, but you can be the, the most valuable defenseman on your team, but it doesn't exactly translate to playoff success. Like you could be lights out and your team just misses, you know, the playoffs. Whereas the Hart trophy, which is normally given to forwards, you know, I just think that forwards have a greater impact on the game in general. So usually the most valuable player will uh, come from a playoff team. So I, I factor it in, I factor in the, the playoffs, but, but I also like say in, in the case of Fox, uh, it, it's not going to deter me from, from putting him high on my ballot. Yeah. The definitions are different, right? If you're the most valuable, valuable player, you're driving something meaningful or something that wouldn't happen without you. And, you know, usually that means, okay, you have to, you have to put your team in at least a position where they're competing or competitive for whether it's divisions, playoffs, playoff, seating or, or what have you. Um, the Vesna trophy, you will not be voting on. That's the job of the general managers. But where would Marc-Andre Fleury rank on that list for you? Uh, we mentioned best stories, worst stories of the season. I think Fleury is certainly among the better stories of the entire season, considering the drama of last summer, the trade rumors, the uncertainty, his sort of, uh, you know, place in the greats, the upper echelons, obviously moving up in the wins list. But, you know, Maybe there's some work to be done to be a Hall of Famer or at least a sure ballot Hall of Famer. So uh, as you reflect on Marc-Andre Fleury's season, I know you wrote a little bit about him this year. Um, where does he rank in terms of best stories for you? Oh, he's right up there. And he's he's like an all-time – he's like a Joe Thornton, right, as you've 
gotten to know uh, Justin where you talk to anyone who knows him and it's just, you know, this is my favorite teammate of all time. That's, that's yeah. one of the first sentences that come out of their mouth. Marc-Andre Fleury is the same way where the, I guess the charisma or the aura that, that he has at the rink is, is, uh, is right up there. And so that combined with his play, and it's just so bizarre the the whole uh, sword in his back thing seems like forever <laughs> ago, but it really wasn't that long ago. And mm-hmm. the fact that Pete DeBoer was the coach then and is the coach now is like so interesting. Um, but no, he's had a phenomenal season. I think I would put him, it's him and Vasilevsky for me, I think with UC Saros making a late charge, but not quite having enough games for me to, to really uh, put him, put him high on my rankings of Desma trophy winners. Uh, I think those are the three guys though. And, and I think I lean towards Vasilevsky without doing like uh, the full research because of what's happened in, in Tampa with some injuries and just the amount of shots he faced and, and the amount of minutes he plays is, I believe they, he leads uh, both categories. Uh, Connor Halbuck might be uh, right up there with him, but Marc-Andre Fleury to, to get back to him is, is a really special player. And I think that what he's doing at his age right now can't be discounted, discounted. I think he's 36. I, I don't have his age in front of me, but mm-hmm. He's, he's had a really, really fascinating career in terms of being the first overall pick, uh, winning cups with, with Pittsburgh, but also, you know, not being the starter for, I think, one of them, maybe two. Uh, yeah, two. And then, and then the, the expansion draft, that could have, you know, coming to Vegas could have been a complete gong show. It turned out it was the best case scenario, but there was a worst case scenario there. And he would have been the face of the franchise. But that, that went swimmingly. And then he's he's stuck around in in Vegas, but they they decided to to bulk up with with Robin Leonard and all the power to them in terms of having that insurance. They're going into the playoffs with the best tandem in the league, so it's it's certainly uh, an advantage in that respect. But that that plays with uh, with the starting minutes. So um, yeah, Flurry, man, he's he's a I think he's a Hall of Famer. I, I think especially because of the people who are voting for for the Hall of Fame who are inducting people do factor in sort of impact on the game uh, and also wh- how high he is on the wins list. I think he will get there. Uh, you know, again, you know, he had some international success. He had some inter- international failures. He had, you know, cup runs. He had, you know, short playoffs. He's had just a, a really roller coaster and, and a lot of highs though. Like he's, yeah, he's uh, like I said before, he, he asked guys who know him and they just, they, they talk glowingly about him. And, and a lot of it is, you know, about the pranks that he pulls off. A lot of it's about the smile that he has every single day and that he can just kind of turn it on and off in terms of being that competitor in game and being a, you know, a jovial guy off the ice. Yeah, certainly. I mean, he's one of the rare breeds that everybody is cheering for him, it seems. And I think one more playoff run, one more meaningful playoff run in Vegas certainly has uh, set itself up for one. Uh, and if he plays, you know, he might not have to be the exclusive guy. I think they're going to be going back and forth just based on what they feel most comfortable with. But Flurry making another meaningful run, I think, will all but solidify that because of all the other things that you mentioned, his longevity, the records, uh, and just him being involved in great teams all the time. I mean, Vegas, Vegas in itself is one of the great stories, not just of this year, but of the last five years in sports. I mean, on the verge of three division titles in four years, making the playoffs every year the destination now for free agents like a NHL powerhouse in terms of franchises uh, and Marc-Andre Fleury 
has a lot, lot to do with the fact that they are in the position that they're in right now. Um, okay, so I mentioned that uh, you know we're we're coming to you for things that we missed here, and uh, I tried to cover as many teams as possible on this podcast, but there are a handful that I've only looked at in a cursory manner, or you know, completely ignored. So I want to pick your brain on five and I'll let you choose your own adventure in terms of which team we'll start with. So the teams I want to ask you about Florida, Carolina, Minnesota, we've talked about a little bit, but we can talk a little bit more about them. Pittsburgh and Buffalo. Where do you want to start? Uh, you say Carolina, let's start with Carolina. I said Carolina. Um, okay. okay. So Carolina, you know, I think we've uh, we've been waiting for the the true breakout for a long time, whether it's winning a president's trophy, which is not quite in their grasp, I think very, very close. Um, but being at the very top of the league, but more so postseason success. And if I look at the team, I think it's like a collection of guys that are completely underappreciated. Like every single player on their roster is underappreciated. That's a lot to do with the fact that they play in the market they do. But I think the thing that really held them back was goaltending. So Alex Nedeljkovic, is this the guy that puts this team over the top for good? I don't know. Like what he's done this season, I don't know. That I don't think it's very sustainable. Uh, but does that matter when you're, we're just talking about the short term, right? So I think they're good enough, honestly, to, to win the cup without a solidified number one, you know, star goalie. I think that they can mm-hmm. do it in tandem. Uh They've proven that all year, essentially. And also, I think just the growth of the team, like th- this group's been around for a while. If you think about, you know, Aho, if you think about Dougie Hamilton, I realize he was, you know, what, two or three years ago that he came around. Um, if you think about, uh, let me see here, Pesci, uh, Jacob Slavin, um, some of the other forwards. Svechnikov. Svechnikov's been around for a couple of years, like, I feel like they're building and building and building towards something special here. And the knock on the the hurricanes over the years has been, they will just completely crush you in the run of play, whether it's scoring chances, whether it's uh, you know, shot attempts or just like literally puck possession, holding onto the puck. Like you look at a guy like Dougie Hamilton and he's, he's not going to let the puck go. Um, but it, it's been finishing ability and it's been goaltending. So obviously two very important things. You can't have all this possession and it doesn't work out. Yeah. Um, but I think that they're, they're a lot closer to that, uh, that marriage of, of having the dominance uh, with, with holding onto the puck and, and the shot attempts, et cetera, and actually finishing and saving pucks. I think they're, they're really close. Are, are they a perfect team? No. Like I think the avalanche are close to being uh, uh, like a, a team without many, uh, without many weaknesses. Uh, especially in the modern game, like they're perfectly f- suited for 2021. But but Carolina's like not not that far behind. You add you add Natchez uh, in terms of uh, finishing ability and, and Andre Sveshnikov, who hasn't had like a crazy good year, um, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that he can't explode in the playoffs. So they have really good special teams. Uh, they control play at five on five, and their goaltending is working out well right now. So you assume. Uh, the way things are going, that they can go on a deep run here. So I, I try not to count out a guy like Robin, Robin, Rob Brindamore either. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Uh, at the helm there. So, I don't know. I'm pretty high on the, on, on the hurricanes. Like, it's, it's them and the lightning for me in terms of the central and, and who's going to come out of there. And... It's nice to say, okay, the Lightning are going to get Kucherov back. They're going to get Stamkos back. And it's, it's like, you know, sky's the limit. But also they could come back and be rusty. They could come back and, it, you know, it, the pieces just don't fit. So I'm trying not to jump on that, 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 that Lightning train too hard uh, with, with the Hurricanes sitting there assembled all year and ready to rock. Uh, I think you brought up a good point at the start there about growth and this team growing together. I think they're growing together, but they're also growing under Rod Brendamore, who isn't the most experienced coach, but has grown into one of the best coaches, I think, in the NHL. And I think a lot to do with their success certainly is, you know, this incredibly underrated core that they've cultivated, but also a coach that's coming into his own as one of the very best. And I think you're right. You need to finish on your chances. And I think, you know, maybe they don't shoot at the very upper echelon of most teams uh, ever. But I think if they get that goaltending, they have everything else in place to, to be a team that, that you know, takes advantage of those margins when we get to the postseason. You mentioned Tampa Bay. Um, so I'll, I'll now choose our adventure. Um, <laughs> you mentioned Tampa Bay being the biggest challenge, you think, for Carolina. I'm having trouble overlooking Florida. Um, obviously, it's been a tremendous year for them. Um, when you look at them what do you think the real difference has been uh you might not be as high as them as i am uh but they've always had talented players around barkov and huberto it seems right they've they've always been able to have some guys uh they were just as good it seems after aaron ekblad went out so his revival as one of the top defensemen in the league was only part of the story how do you how do you figure that billy zito and joe quenville have elevated this team to the extent that they have where they finished above the tampa bay lightning in the regular season yeah, and there's an argument that you could give Billy Zito the GM of the year and Joel Quenville the Jack Adams. Like, I, I really think there's an argument for both. Um, <clears throat> that said, I just, I don't know. I, I look at their roster and I feel like there's something missing there. I feel like they're riding a bit of a high of the season. I don't know if, if they're as well built as the Hurricanes and the Lightning. That's kind of where I come in in terms of, uh, you know, slotting them third in terms of the playoffs and success. Um, that doesn't mean they can't go on a nice run here. And I don't know, that's just some of the acquisitions that they made have been really impressive. Carter Verhage's taken off that he's been a really good story. Obviously playing with uh, Barkov is, is going to help, but Hey, uh, you know, there's that old cliche of not everyone can play with, with the lead players. And clearly Carter Verhage can. Um, Mackenzie Wieger's had a really nice breakout, especially without Ekblad there. Uh, the question with him was always, well, he's playing with Ekblad, like, how much of this uh, underlying data that is off the charts with Uyghur is, is, is just a reflection of what Ekblad's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so I, I like them. And, and, you know, they have guys like Duclair, uh, some really nice uh, off-season buys that have, that have panned out for them. I think I just, I just don't know if it's, if it's time yet for them. And I know that's not really a good, uh, you know, analytical way of looking at things. But when I, when I look at their competition, I don't think Nashville is going to do much against Carolina. But when I look at what, what Carolina is doing and, and then the, them moving on to the second round and then Florida trying to get past Tampa, the, the, you know, those two series, I just, I can't see them escaping both of them. Maybe they play Carolina in the second round, but I just, I just can't see it. I, I just don't think they have it. And that's me saying that while also having a lot of faith in what Spencer Knight has done so far. I think he's, we talked about before uh, Nadelkovic, how uh, maybe what we've seen from him is a little smoke and mirrors, like still a good goalie, but like, is he this good? I think that Spencer Knight's actually the opposite of that. I think that what we see of him right now is legit. He, at every level, he's been, uh, you know, just dominant and, and mm-hmm. you know, drafted super high for a reason. And uh, I mean, I don't know about you, Justin, but I've spoken with him a couple of times and it's like you're speaking to a 30 year old who has his priorities straight. You know, he really takes care of his body, really good mentally. Just like you just you leave the conversation going like it's almost like he's going to have to try hard to screw up this whole path he's on where of, of becoming a, a franchise goalie. So so that's a long way of saying, like, I like what the, the Panthers have done. And I think, you know, if Spencer Knight goes on a run here, I guess they could get to the semifinal. But I just I put the Hurricanes and the Lightning at cut above. We've, we've talked about some of the best uh, stories uh, on the season for us. And if I'm in the NHL office, I feel like the Pittsburgh Penguins turning things around is probably among the better stories for um, those or the powers that be. Um, what do you make of the revival? I mean, Jeff Carter said something interesting the other day, saying he, he hasn't been part of a program where players are just allowed to be players. Uh, and I think that illustrated sort of the, the remarkable aspect of their turnaround. Like, they went from you know, splitting with a Hall of Fame general manager that won two Stanley Cups in his tenure there um, and going to Brian Burke and Ron Hextall and thinking, well, change is in order. Like, we're going to start, you know, rebuild here. Where does that leave Sidney Crosby and all this? But now it seems that history is repeating itself and that right when Hextall and Burke came in, the Penguins have led this revival. What do you make of how they've managed to return their season around? And is it back to 2016 and 17? Well, first of all, I totally, not not forgot, but... I totally misplaced the timeline of that, that switch of GM. Like Jim Rutherford just decided one day he wasn't going to be the GM anymore. And he just left. Yeah. And that was, uh, I can't remember. Do you remember? Was it in like March or it was something? A month, or? It was a month into the season. I think less than a month into the season. Okay, I think so Ferg came over on February 9th. So we're talking about three weeks. Wow. Yeah. So that was, that was bizarre. And again, I mean, I've talked about it a couple of times on this podcast, but the amount of storylines and weird ones this season is just off the charts. Um, as for the Penguins, I think what what's really impressive about them and, and they maybe don't get enough credit for is whenever Malkin and Crosby go out, they seem to be fine. Like if one of them goes out, not both of them. And I don't, and everyone always defaults to like, Oh, if Malkin's out, wow, look what Crosby's doing. Or if Crosby's out, wow, look what Malkin's doing. You know, he should be in the MVP conversation. And maybe that's true, but I think, you know, if it happens enough times, I think it's probably the organization that has its uh, act together that is able to, uh, I guess, ride through the storm so to speak yeah um, so that's something that really sticks out about their season where Malkin's barely played Crosby's had uh, a really a really strong season um, yeah. he's Crosby's always gonna get a lot of press but but maybe he hasn't got enough for what he's done um, I'm gonna have to consider him for the heart and 
I don't know. They, they, they play a brand of hockey that, that I think is conducive with, with going on a, on a run here. So looking at that division, I actually, I like I like the Bruins coming out of there, but I could tell you could talk me into the Penguins and the Capitals and Hey, maybe even the Islanders, uh, given that, uh, they've gone on a, a couple lengthy, uh, trips in, in the playoffs here over the last couple of years, uh, for good reason, the way that they uh, can shut them, some teams down. So the Penguins, they, uh, they've prolonged this thing. Like, I mean, when did Crosby get, he started at the, at the beginning of the lockup. They've been more, more or less uh, at the top of the league for 15 years now. It's, it's kind of nuts. And time is running out. Like that's not breaking news. Time's running out with, uh, with Crosby and Malkin in their primes or they're probably past their prime, but they're really effective years. Uh, so you imagine there's a, there's a little more motivation in that group maybe. And, and you add a guy like Jeff Carter, who uh, I don't know about you, Justin, but I, I didn't think that that was going to do much to them. I, I didn't think uh, that acquisition was going to turn into much given how uh, Carter's goal scoring had, had dropped off and, and how his underlying numbers weren't pretty. Um, but here we are. So there, if you're, like you said, like you hit the nail on the head with the league uh, office, probably looking at this and going, Ooh, we like this, this, this could line, line up for, for some really interesting uh, playoff storylines. And I think if you're a casual fan and I've been watching the league for the last 15 years, you might be cheering for, for the Penguins when your team's out. Yeah, I think you're right about Jeff Carter. I mean, when I first saw it, I was just like, well, that's, I mean, that's, that's an attempt to improve the roster. But when you think about it now, it is brilliant because if you're going to take advantage of the last few years of Sidney Crosby and of Getty Malkin, you had to inject some life into this group, but you couldn't, you don't have the money to spend to really, to, to get the, the impact players that you need. So you're going to have to find guys at 50% retained that can do a job for you. And Jeff Carter at less than $3 million and the way he's playing, that's a legit third line center who can be that Jordan stall type that we've seen be so you know important to Pittsburgh Penguins teams in the past. I mean, uh, I was like you that was kind of shaking its head, didn't think it would do much, but uh, that's proven to be uh, a very, very important deal. And you look at that division, I mean, it's wide open. I, I'm with you. I think Boston comes out of it. But Pittsburgh has a favorable, I don't know if it's favorable, but certainly a winnable matchup. Maybe the Islanders are a, a bit of a team that could give them trouble just the way they're structured. But I don't think Washington's particularly strong. I don't think Boston's the best version of itself over the last few years. So Pittsburgh could could find itself in, in that, uh, you know, a big position this year. And when you get Sidney Crosby in meaningful playoff games, you know, it's hard to bet against him. Um, the other side of the coin would be the Buffalo Sabres. We talked about a little bit, but um, I, I, I kind of want to put it to you this way. Is this the single most dire situation from a team perspective that you've seen in your years covering hockey? I think so. And the irony of that is that, you know, a previous Buffalo season probably would have been the second uh, most <laughs> dire. That's, that's how bad it's yeah. been. And I feel really bad for people who cover, who, well, not cover because whatever, but who, uh, who support the team. They have a really good fan base. Uh, it shows up in the, the playoff ratings every year where they get like, you know, they're one of the top markets, even though they don't have a playoff team, which is insane. Um, and I mean, let's face it, it probably is an ownership problem at the end of the day. Uh, you look at around the league and, and teams with strong ownership are always at the top of, of the standings and Buffalo uh, always at the bottom. And it's just, I think it's, it's mostly dire because 
of the context of the situation in a sense where if this season had happened in a, in a, in a vacuum, it's like, Whoa, Oh my God. Like, let's just refresh in the summer. We got mm-hmm. this. Let's, let's reload, but it's been 10 years and no playoffs. It's been, I think Eichel's finishing his sixth year. Uh, obviously as, as people who are listening would have found out by now, he had those explosive comments the other day in regards to uh, his relationship with the team and, and a possible, uh, I guess, departure. That, that's a complete mess because you, I think there's, there's sort of, there's multiple ways of looking at this and, and where, where the Sabres can take this. But I think that they have to do a full, they have to do a full rebuild. I think that culture as, you know, intangible and, un, you know, quantifiable as it is, is, is a real thing. And I think the culture is rotten there. And that's not to say it's, it's Jack Eichel's fault or Sam Reinhardt's fault, but they've, they they become a victim of it. So you have to clean house. And I think, you know, you get a president of hockey ops, maybe you keep Kevin Adams as the GM. I don't know. Uh, you know, do you keep Don Granado as, as a coach? Maybe. Um, but you figure it out, you get your house in order. You actually hire people to work for your hockey team. <laughs> as crazy as that sounds like you look at the Buffalo Sabres <laughs> hockey ops page and it's like, 10 guys i'm not even joking they yeah. completely cleaned house uh i want to say either during the pandemic or right before it and they haven't fulfilled those those roles uh they haven't we're sorry refilled those roles and i just don't think you can pull that off unless you are the carolina hurricanes who are a low budget team that has eric tolsky one of the smartest guys in hockey at the helm of a really strong analytics department like i just you need a really special circumstance to be able to be that lean and that and, and also effective so there's like, there's, there's some major surgery that needs to be done there. And if I'm a Sabres fan, I don't want to hear that. I want to, you know, I want to retool, not rebuild, but I just, if you're retooling, I think that you're kind of missing the point and that it's actually going to be a more painful than if you tear it down and start all over again. And maybe you keep Darlene because he's still fresh and, and perhaps not as uh, tainted by what's gone on there. Um, maybe you keep cousins. You'll probably keep them because you can't sell everyone. But like, other than that, there's just not much there that I would uh, I would hold on to. Okay, last stop on the tour of the unacknowledged teams is Minnesota, who we've already acknowledged. I was going to ask you about maybe if Kaprizov is the main reason for the turnaround, what might be the next element for this identity shift? But, you know, I think we've touched on that a little bit. So I'll just ask you, can they upset the apple cart and get through either Colorado and then Vegas or Vegas and then Colorado? and be the representative representative from the West division. I think they can. I think the chances of our pegging them are like 10% or something, but that's a lot higher than I would give a lot of teams. I think that Minnesota, even though they have a really strong record are still a bit of a, I don't want to say sleeping giant. Cause I don't think they're a giant, but some sort of underrated team. I, I think that they have a shutdown guy in UL, Eric Spinek, and he's, he's really interesting where he's super high up on the, uh, the list of even strength goals this season, like kind of quietly. I think he's seventh in the entire league, which is kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. And that's while being a shutdown guy. And he plays this, this interesting style where he's a total pain in the ass. He's, he's, he's an agitator without taking penalties. He's in your face without chirping. He's he, he, he defends very legally. Um, so could that, you, you talk about upsetting the apple cart, could that upset the apple cart that is, uh, the Avalanche's top line. Do you match Erickson Eck with with McKinnon, who has shown in the past that he can get frustrated if he's uh, if he's uh, going up against a, a good defender? You know, you saw him throw a helmet at a, an opponent this year. 
Um, <laughs> so I, I like I, I can I can talk myself into the Wild competing with the Avalanche, who I think should be the top Stanley Cup pick. So that's like a big compliment, but them actually beating them, I think, is a tremendous challenge. And then them beating presumably Vegas in the in the second round. And again, the this matchup hasn't actually been finalized, but it's looking like Colorado, yeah. Minnesota to start. Um, I think that's a, a big long shot. But I, again, I like I don't want to sleep on the Wild, and I don't want people uh, elsewhere to either. Where I think they're going to make it competitive, and that you couldn't say that about the Wild last year, as we touched on earlier whether it's the entertainment value or, you know, actually being a good hockey team. Uh, they have, they have really strong defense corps. I brought up that, that Eric Erickson Eckline and then Kaprizov is a complete X factor and game changer. Um, so we'll see. A couple more uh, questions about what we're going to see in the playoffs here before I let you go. And I wanted to ask you about your most anticipated first round series. Uh, does that involve Minnesota, even though we don't know, uh, who they're going to play just yet. Uh, is it something in the East with Pittsburgh playing the Islanders, Boston, Boston, Washington, the Chara matchup? Is it something from the North division, even though it might be as not as competitive as maybe other, other uh, divisions, or is it going to the central and that all Florida matchup? Or are you talking and you're talking yourself into Nashville, potentially giving Carolina fits? Is there something that stands off or jumps off the page for you in terms of the first round? Well, I think it's Florida, Tampa. I think it yeah. just from like a historical, like, okay, let's see what this rivalry actually is perspective. I, I realize they're not the, the sexiest teams, especially the Panthers. I, I know the lightning have garnered a ton of attention lately because they won the cup, but uh, there's been some bad blood there recently. And I think that they both play like up-tempo games, like interesting, uh, entertaining uh, styles of hockey that, that there's potential there for, you know, six, five games or whatever four three games where there's a ton of chances and there's also a, a fair amount of, of entertaining saves. So I like that from a rivalry perspective, if, if I'm picking one, if, you know, I, I'd say a close second would probably be uh, Colorado, Minnesota, uh, partly because of Minnesota, but also because of uh, Colorado who, you know, between McCarr and, and Taves and Gerard just have a really um, mobile and versatile defense that I think, is uh, super fun to watch. So them interacting with with the the Minnesota four checkers uh, is is a matchup that I'm also looking forward to. I think yeah, I think that the implications with both those series are potential series. I mean, Colorado could do itself a a serious favor by winning their next two games and avoiding Minnesota in the first round. Um, but I think that that'll you know factor into what happens with these divisions because. Playing Minnesota, I think they're going to take a bite out of you, whether it's Vegas or Colorado here. And I think Tampa and Florida are going to take a bite out of each other, and that plays really well for the Carolina Hurricanes. So winning the two divisions, probably the strongest, the strongest two divisions, at least in terms of you know elite teams at the very top, there should be a reward in getting that number one seed, and I think we'll see that play itself out with whoever comes out of the West and certainly Carolina having that advantage. I mean, Toronto and Montreal will be interesting. Edmonton and Winnipeg will be interesting as well. And the Chara Bowl does interest me. I think Boston, Washington is going to be nasty. So I, I don't quite know if Washington's in the best spot right now in terms of health and narrative and everything that goes into it. And I think Boston might be licking their chops a little bit. Um, but honestly, across the board, the first round matchups are very good. If you had to choose a team that was going to pull the upset, where are you leaning? Upset. I mean... Maybe St. Louis. I really like Vegas, but 
last year they couldn't score in the playoffs and it was their demise. Like uh, the amount of chances they generated and, and everything were, were, were impressive, but they just don't have a ton of like high end finishers. Mark, Mark Stone will finish uh, shots. Petrangelo from, from the point, Theodore, Pacioretty. But like, these aren't like, you know, these aren't world-class guys in terms of, you know, a top 10 snipers in the league. So I just, I just think like, I, I really, I think I could see Vegas winning the cup. I could also see them getting upset in the first round. You know what I mean? Um, And St. Louis, I just, on paper, they should be better than they've been this year. So there's that factor too, where are we missing something there is, is the playoffs where, where they hit their peak because if you look across what they've done this season, there hasn't been um, a, a really extended stretch there where they looked really strong. So that, that might be a weird way to, to, to hype them up, but uh, there's, there's sort of something in the water there between uh, Vegas and, and St. Louis where um, perhaps there's, there's an, an upset in like seven games. Well, I mean, I think this podcast has come full circle because I mentioned you digging in the far reaches and St. Louis was the only team that I hadn't mentioned yet on this podcast <laughs> and we got to them. Nice. So that's, that is a perfect way to get to my final question, which is if there was a gun to your head, and you had to pick a Stanley Cup favorite. Who are you going with right now? Colorado. It's got to be Colorado. I'm I'm curious to hear what you say, but uh, just my pitch is essentially the problem with them last year was the goaltending. I think that's been shored up. I think that that what we've seen from Grubauer is legitimate, and I think that they have enough uh, behind him to to stave off a potential injury because you never know what's what's going to happen in the playoffs here. Um, and then, so if you forget about goaltending, you focus just solely on the forwards and defense. I just think the fluidity between uh, those two groups is just so strong. And like I, I mentioned a while back, like they are like, if you were picking a modern hockey team, if you were, sorry, if you're uh, producing one or, or manufacturing one from, from the start, I think that you would have a lot of the players that they have on their team. And it goes all the way down to like Don Skoy on the third line or fourth line where, He's, he's super effective on the power play uh, and, and, you know, digs in the, in the corners, retrieves pucks and, you know, on say any other team, he might be in the top six. So just between McKinnon being so dominant and, and can really tilt the ice to all to, to McCarr, to their depth players. I just, I look at that team and I just see a, a like a, a buzzsaw and, and we, there were certain points this season, not that long ago where they were a buzzsaw. They were absolutely destroying teams night after night. And even when they would win like two, one, the, the expected goals would be like four, one or something like that. Like they, the way that they play is just so conducive with winning with how the rules are laid out now and how the game is played. Well, the two preseason favorites, I think were Tampa Bay and Colorado, Tampa Bay being the reigning Stanley cup champion and Colorado being the team that I think probably underachieved the most. And it was because of reasons that were a little bit outside of their control. And I think both those teams are dealing with a similar situation here, not winning the division, I think is a big deal. They're going to have difficult first round series and maybe the two single hardest paths in the entire, um, you know, road to the Stanley cup final. Um, Colorado can do itself a huge favor by winning the next two games against LA and getting the top spot. I think that might change my thinking, but I think, both teams are also dealing with injuries. I mean, Colorado, it's injuries what submerged them last year, um, Colorado, but Brandon Saad's out, Bowen Byram's out. I mean, they're dealing with some stuff right now, and, and I don't know if they're going in as, you know, 
at you know full bar of health as they would as maybe or as maybe other teams are and I think Tampa Bay is dealing with the same thing with Victor Hedman you know needing surgery in the offseason and playing through it I mean that he's the guy that drives that team and that's what worries me the most most about him so I kind of want to take the coward's way out and go with whoever whichever team wins the west uh but I'll go with Vegas for now because I think um, I mean, a lot more has to go right for Colorado to win the division, but I think Vegas is just as good. I think it's a coin flip in terms of which team is better out there in the West and which team is what I think the best in the league. So I think it's Vegas for me right now. I think they can withstand a little bit more. I think they have a benefit uh, or they're going to have the benefit of the salary cap just being thrown out the window because we've seen them reduced to like 15 skaters on occasion. So I think, you know, they're going to go into the playoffs with a little bit of a boost. And, and I don't know if there are going to be other teams like Colorado and Tampa Bay that are limping in and have to go through dip, more difficult teams to get there. So my, my pick is, is Vegas. I'm going to, if I pick every seat or every division, I'd say Vegas, Boston, Toronto, and Carolina. And I think in Carolina, Vegas Stanley cup final uh, sounds pretty good to me. Do you have a cup final or do you want to give us the, the, the four divisional picks before we go? Yeah, sure. So if I already picked Colorado coming out of the West, I think, I think I lean towards Carolina in the central, um, as I talked about earlier, mm-hmm. East Boston, I just think, uh, it's all coming together for them at the right time with Taylor Hall. And, <laughs> you know, better than most people, Justin, like that top line in the playoffs, they are killers at, at each yeah. end of the ice. I mean, they are in the regular season, but like when Brad Marchand and David Pasternak and Patrice Bergeron are, are dialed in like good luck. And so that's sort of my, and also they have good goaltending. So Boston or the East, the North Toronto. So, you know, if I'm picking it, it it's kind of weird because then it recedes when you're in the semifinals. So that'll make yeah, a big so, difference. Yeah. It's going to be kind of this awkward thing where one matchup may be two heavyweights and the other one might be like two, two lesser known teams. Um, but in terms of the cup final, I would probably go if I were to handicap it, Colorado, Toronto. That's my guess. Interesting. Colorado, Toronto would be amazing, and forget yes. the forget the Chara Bowl. That's the Nazem Kadri Bowl. <laughs> that would be a lot of fun. Uh, Mattis, this was a lot of fun. Um, tell people where they can find your work, what you got coming down the pipe, uh, what we can expect from you in the postseason, if you if you wish. Um, go ahead. Sure. Yeah. So my Twitter is at Mattis John. So M A T I S said J O H N. And that's probably the best way to find my work. I mean, you could also Google me and, and type in the score with it. Uh, download the app. Uh, also, in terms of what's coming down from me, I'm going to do some sort of uh, look at the, the best matchups in in the first round. And by matchups, I mean, you know, it might not necessarily be team versus team. It could be penalty kill versus power play or shutdown guy versus star, that kind of thing. So that's coming over the next couple of days. And then early next week, I'm going to look at the Oilers and what, what, what we should really expect from them as uh, I believe I talked about it off the top, like as this team that has this generational star, but it's kind of flawed. So is it going to be a case of, uh, of them holding their heads above water when Connor's off the ice and then, uh, and then be basically being plus two every, every night with him on the ice. Uh, so does that, does that prove to be a successful recipe looking into that a little bit? So, yeah, that's what's coming down the pipe, and 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 yeah, we'll we'll see how the the playoffs unfold here. But Justin, really appreciate you having me on. Uh, this is a lot of fun. The playoffs are here, which is a, a chance for you to uh, turn out some great content and sit the little one on your lap to do your part in the parenting equation. John, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me.
when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.